Alright everybody, welcome to episode 31 of NPC Talk. My name is Inkernaut. Today is December 8th, 2015. And for uh, for today guys, I have a very special guest. Um, he's just like Jeremy. He was in the same episode before. And then now he's doing a top three with us. Tim, hello. Hello. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> So you, I think you're the first guest where we had a guest with the same uh, same first name as you. Oh, so wait, are you sure? Yeah, well... I, I thought mean, you had a second Jeremy. Uh, oh, you're right. But they have, <laughs> they have a different uh, last initial. And so I was like... <laughs> okay, I'll, I guess you're right there. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was being so sneaky. <laughs> no, you're you're totally right. <laughs> um, yes. Yeah, so today we have a top three from you, yours truly. I, I, I have to admit right now that um, that you you have graciously told me your top three ahead of time. Oh, dude! Spoilers. I know, and. And I spoiled it in the, in yesterday's recording because we were doing a Christmas episode on like what games to buy, and I had to recommend one of the games that you told me because oh no, so okay. Good. And so, and so yeah, that's all right. <laughs> Wait, so is this airing after that one? Yes, it is. <laughs> oh, no, all right, that's fine. But but you know I'm I'm still really excited because. Hey. Hopefully we can uh, talk about why whatever that game is is good. Yeah, yeah. Um, so let's see. Do I have NPC talk news? I don't think so. The only thing is that Heroes of the Storm has like a bigger sale going on to the end of the year. So if you guys are into that, jump on it because I probably will. Um, That's pretty good. Yeah, I don't think anything else is going on in my gaming life. Well. We heard about Overwatch. Isn't that pretty good? Yeah. Um, Overwatch pricing model is free heroes and free maps if it's released after launch. Um, so that is a huge plus. Yeah. I think everyone is worried that if we are going to have to pay full price for a game and then also have to pay nickel and dime for uh, DLC afterwards, that it's not going to be very cool, but... Seems like they uh, heard people, and uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it's pretty cool. I think it's the right choice too. Like, mm-hmm. um, like they'll still get um, you know chump change from um, skins and like other mm-hmm. you know not essential parts of the game. So I'm like, okay, like I'm okay with it. Yep. Um, but for tonight, we got a top three. Tim, are you ready? I'm ready. All right, kick us off. What have you got for us? So number three, that's what we're doing, right? Yep. You right. can order it any way you want. Yep. Number three is a game that does not like the number three, <laughs> or at least created by a developer that doesn't like the number three. Okay, okay. Uh, Half-Life 2. Half-Life 2. Aren't you surprised? Have you ever... Uh, did you Did you know that that was going to be my third... S- game <laughs> so wait when you told me i was like huh half-life 2 like that is that i think just having that pick is pretty surprising like it 
I've heard really good things about it, but I personally haven't played it, and I have no idea why it was like lauded for like such greatness. Are you wait? You've never played it. I've never played Half Life Two. Mm. <laughs> okay. Well, so there's like tons of games, you know, that you have to play, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you know that gets thrown around all the time. But um, ah, I recommend it. But all right. So yeah, we'll we'll get into why I recommend it then, wouldn't we? Yeah. Um. So Half Life Two, developed and published by Valve Corporation. Uh, released on November 16th, 2004. So over 10 years ago now. Yeah. Um, and I even... I started playing it again the other day and... Oh, really? Yeah, just to like, you know, revisit it. And it uh, it really holds up, I think. Hmm. Um, like, you can tell that the graphics are a little dated, but... When you um, upscale it to whatever resolution your monitor is at nowadays, mm-hmm. um, it's still it's um, it's good. I don't know. I think it'll hold up for a long time. Interesting, interesting. Um, okay, so Half Life Two. I assume it's a FPS like Half Life One, Portal, Portal Two. Yeah, it's it's FPS. Have you played Half Life One? I have. You have? A long time oh, ago. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so wait, do you want me to get into like the story or? Uh, yeah, let's, let's start with the story. What is Half-Life 2? So um, you're this guy. You're a scientist named Gordon Freeman. Mm-hmm. And you don't ever talk. You're just super athletic, I guess. Yep, and good yep. at shooting things. Um, and you work at Black Mesa, and Black Mesa does, like, I don't know exactly all of the things they do, but it includes portal technology, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, which is, I believe, what happens in Half-Life 1. Um, it's been a while, but, yeah, there's a, they mess with portals, and then stuff goes bad, and aliens come in, um, in Half-Life mm-hmm. 1. So, and then, of course, there's, um... There's this mysterious figure behind all of it um, named uh, the G-Man, <laughs> and he's, like, pulling strings. Um, but, yeah, so there's like, a, there's, like, an alien aspect more to Half-Life 1, I guess, overarching in the series. But um, in Half-Life 2, it's not as, like, obvious. Mm. Um, all right, so, so beginning of Half-Life 2, mm-hmm. you... Um, you begin with G-Man telling you uh, to wake up, and it's very mysterious. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He says, uh, wake up, Mr. Freeman. <laughs> wake up and smell the ashes. <laughs> and uh, you wake up, and you're in a train car, and then you're uh, dropped off in the city. Um, and then... The city's run by um, combine soldiers, so it's like a government type thing. Um, all the humans are like repressed. You don't really know what combine soldiers are. They're just guys with like, um, like heavy gear suits of armor type. Not like not like armor, but 
yeah, just like heavy gear and mm-hmm. like they have these uh, gas masks on. Okay. Um, and yeah, there's some some really good parts at the the opening sequence of Half Life Two. Just um, some things like uh, one of the Combine soldiers is is at the gate uh, that you have to walk through, and so he leans over to this soda can on the mm-hmm. trash can, and he's like, "Pick it up." And you can, you know, pick it up and put it in the trash can. He's like, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> it just kind of, like, makes fun of you because he has power over you. But then you can also just, like, throw it at him or, like, not do anything. But, I mean, on your per- first playthrough, you're kind of like, oh, I don't want to, like, I don't want to die or whatever. Right, So right. you're obviously going to, like, comply. And then it, it helps you... Um, it helps you like immerse yourself in that world, but yeah, so you can like throw this soda can at him and all that, and then he hmm. hits you, and then you like fade out, and then you fade back in, whatever. Um. Uh. Yeah. So Half Life Two. Um. You. I guess like the first big conflict. There's like a lot going on. First big conflict has to do with portals, just like the first one. Mm-hmm. Um. And, uh, you know, this actually, I'm, I'm going off track, but, um, you know, Black Mesa, Aperture, um, mm-hmm. the game Portal, Portal 1, Portal 2, um, it's actually the same world. So, like, Aperture is, like, a competitor of Black Mesa from, mm. like, a long time ago. And uh, so that's why, like, you've got Portal and um, Aperture has this Portal technology with the Portal gun. Um, and so, yeah, Black Mesa has also been, like, dabbling in that. Um, But anyway, so you come up to this, you find this scientist, and uh, he teleports your friend, and then he begins to teleport you, but um, it goes terribly wrong because his little pet zombie animal head crab uh, messes you up, and you're not teleported to your destination, you're teleported somewhere else, and that's like the main conflict is trying to get to your destination. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, due to a portal mishap. <laughs> and so is, uh, would you say Half-Life 2 is kind of known for its story? Or like, is it really, you know? Um, yeah, definitely. I think, I think um, just all around, I think everything about it was kind of revolutionary. Mm. Um, you have Half-Life 1, which... I believe at the time was very like heralded as a great um, first-person shooter. Yeah, yeah. And then um, Half-Life Two took I don't know how long, but something like ten years afterwards to come out. Um, and the graphics of Half-Life Two were amazing at the time, so mm-hmm. that was something that was really um, praised. Um, the gameplay was. Um, very, very smooth, no, like, real issues, and, yeah, the story is, I think it's, the story isn't, like, talked about that much, but it's, um, it's something that, like, everybody is still anticipating, um, you know, because there is a Half-Life 3 interestingly missing, and everybody wants that to come out. Um, (laughs) Yeah. They're all, like, uh... How are they going to tie everything up? Because there's there's a lot of um, there's a lot of mystery in the Half Life world, mm. and not all of it is resolved. Um, 
in at this current point in time. So uh, I guess when you ask about like whether the story is what it's known for, I I almost want to say no, but it's something that everybody wants to see resolved. Mm. Like, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, would you so would you recommend that people play Half Life One before playing Half Life Two? Um, so I actually didn't. So I mean, we're talking eleven years ago is when Half Life Two came out. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't really know about Half Life One at the time. Um, I think one of my friends recommended it to me. I was still young, so I wasn't in the world. Half Life Two was by itself. It throws you in there. Um, it introduces you to everything really quickly. Um, there are a few references to Half Life One, but overall, like a lot of the characters are new to Half Life Two. Hmm. Um, so, like, there's this this girl character, Alex Vance. She says, you know, like. Uh, uh, you probably don't remember me, but I worked with my or whatever. You, uh, I was at Black Mesa back in the day, and she's not actually in the game. Um, <laughs> and then there's this uh, this dictator character. Oh gosh, can't can't remember his name, but um, uh, yeah. Oh yeah. So the city is called City Seventeen. Um, and then there's like this dictator guy who's sort of, like, leading the Combine, I guess. And you think he's, like, the big bad enemy, which I guess mm-hmm. he pretty much is. Um, but he's, like, first introduced at the beginning of Half-Life 2. Um, and like, speaking this, like, prop- propaganda speech. So, um, yeah, there's there's really no need to play the first game. Okay, okay. Um, but it, it adds to the experience, and... Uh, there are other games like Half-Life Opposing Forces and yep, Half-Life yep. Blue Shift, which are the same engine as uh, Half-Life 1, but they give you like side stories. You're not playing as Gordon Freeman. Um, they give you some interesting information about the story for like people that are really into the story. Mm. Uh, but other than that, you still, still it's not necessary. Um, mm. They're pretty good at, at telling the story as is. Nice, nice, nice. Um, so let's move on to the gameplay. You were saying that it's uh, revolutionary for its time. Yeah, I would say so. Um, and I'm probably going to sound silly to some people, but um, I think like when I played it, I was blown away at like the physics of the game. Um hmm. So they've just got like they've got this engine um and there's physics involved and things have like weights to them so you can create like simple machines um they've got like puzzles in the game where there's this barrel of air and there's this platform underwater and if you bring the barrel put it under the platform and you do it a couple more times you can raise it enough to get through. Um, similar one with like there's like a, um, like a board, and you can put there's like cinder blocks next to it, and uh, you put the cinder blocks on the board, and then it gives you enough time to like jump across. Mm. Um, so like things like that were 
certainly new to me. Um, I don't believe that many games took advantage of like just an interactable world in that way. Um, I don't know. I'm thinking back to like GoldenEye, which is just really, really old now, but um, there's there's no like real interactions in that game. You just press like buttons, like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. press the interactions. Um, but in this game, you can actually um, use objects to get farther rather than like simply just pressing buttons. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I was totally thinking of GoldenEye as like kind of like a somewhat comparable mm-hmm. FPS for the time. Yeah, well, I think I guess it'd be probably more comparable to like Half Life One, Half Life Two. The graphics at the time they were just really, really like refined. I think. Mm. Um, so, because like when you when you go back and look at GoldenEye, you're like, oh man, this is ugly. Like I cannot play GoldenEye. Like it doesn't hold up well. Like if you go back and play it, right, right. The only reason why you would is because you remembered. Um, how it awesome it good. is yeah um, but Half-Life 2 is something that like it's 11 years old but I definitely think you or anybody else who hasn't played it could pick it up and play and and not feel like oh this game is so dated hmm. yeah yeah actually yeah so Half-Life 1 came out in 1998 and Goldeneye came out in 1997 so those oh. two a little closer in time yeah uh, I think Half-Life 2, since it's in 2004, it's a little closer to um, Halo 1, maybe? Kind of around yeah, that time. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, Halo 1, I mean, I guess they um, they both have somewhat similar graphics, but I think Half-Life 2 was a lot more cinematic cinematic in a way mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um i definitely would put half-life 2 above halo in terms of uh immersion and graphics overall mm, yeah they're but, two very different experiences yeah definitely um so so uh half-life 2 is it is it just more of like the conglomerate of everything being put together that makes it so good like the like the revolutionary gameplay with the immersive storyline like what what really brought you in yeah um it's definitely definitely um just the atmosphere the environment Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. all of it it was just so new at the time i'd never experienced anything like it um, I think that this game was a game changer for like future games, um, like for the industry. Um, I guess the biggest thing would just be like um, the gameplay and it it being in like a dark type of world where mm. um, it's not like all. It's not completely PG. Um, I guess, yeah, for me, it was pretty scary at the time. <laughs> I guess a big piece of this that I'm missing out on, like, the story-wise, is uh, they have these things called headcrabs, um, which uh, 
I believe they're like alien type. Um, I guess they just look like like uh, those turkeys, like like or just like a chicken that's like um, cooked, <laughs> you know, like with the bone sticking out. Okay, okay. It's all like naked. You know, yeah. You can like you cut it. Yeah, like the rotisserie, like yeah, yeah. They they look like that, <laughs> but like then they have these sharp claws and uh, sharp teeth underneath. Okay. Like you can just picture that. That doesn't. Not... They go around. They jump on people. They jump on people's heads, and then they they kill them, and take over their body. And so, uh, that's that's part of like that's a pretty big part in the game. Mm. It, it's a lot like in Halo. You have the Covenant as the aliens, and then you have um, the Flood, which mm. take over human bodies. Similar, similar like trope. You have uh, the combine in Half Life, and then you have head crabs, which um, produce the more scary parts of the game. Mm, okay, okay. Uh, yeah, uh, ra- rabid rotisserie chickens. <laughs> <laughs> scary stuff, dude. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty scary. They, they like jump at you. They make these loud growls. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure. I'm, I'm sure it's scarier. <laughs> it is, I promise. <laughs> they they have this entire level in the game um, where your friend Alex she tells you, uh, like, that's Ravenholm. We don't go to Ravenholm anymore, <laughs> and uh, it's like very ominous foreshadowing. And then you end up having to go there, and it's basically like this spooky. Uh, spooky like ghost town where there's head crabs everywhere it's nighttime and um you just it's like the worst level in the game and you want to get out of there as fast as you can <laughs> oh, okay yeah yeah for sure yeah. you hate those levels exactly but they make the game i guess i mean it, it uh it provides like something bad so that you can get through it and feel relief and mm-hmm. appreciate the other levels more i, I kind of feel Dude, I remember Half-Life 1 being, like, fairly scary. Yeah. Yeah, it was. There's there's a lot in that game that uh, is mysterious, a lot of monsters. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Half-Life 2 tones it down on the monsters, uh, for sure. But they're probably going to come back with it in Half-Life 3, if they ever make it. Half-Life 3 confirmed, guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think at this point, Valve has no reason to make Half-Life 3, is what people are saying, because it's just so hyped at this point. Um, because of the wild success that Half-Life 2 was. Mm. But, um, I don't know. I feel at this point, like it's just been so long that if they just made it, who cares whether it doesn't meet everybody's expectations. Um, I don't know. <laughs> maybe yeah. one day yeah yeah uh yeah half-life the series i'm i've actually like i've been wanting to play it but uh just uh it's always like on sale on steam and i'm like hmm oh man it's a time but if you've ever got time i mean you've got a long list of games i know <laughs> but uh it's it's one of those one of those ones that you gotta eventually get down to awesome awesome uh so do you have any uh last words for the half-life 2 
Um, yeah, I just wanted to say when I played it and I was a kid, um, I had to install it with like five discs, <laughs> and that was super annoying. And on my computer, like, there's like checkpoints in the game uh, through each level mm-hmm. where it has to reload like the next couple rooms. Oh, no. Those took like five to ten minutes for me to load every time. <sighs> so I'd like play the game for five minutes and then have to wait five minutes. Um, so I'd just like leave the room, come back eventually. <laughs> Um, and then got a computer upgrade, and it took like two seconds to load. Oh man! And it was like the happiest feeling in the world. Um, but anyway, yeah. So that was part of my first experience. <laughs> old old school PC struggles, man. Like they were real back then. Yeah, <laughs> seriously. I mean, like, I think I'm less I'm less inclined to like complain about how it used to be, and just more like thankful. I like how it is right now. Like, it's really great how fast things get. Man, dude, I, I remember uh, the whole... Uh, I had a I had a Celeron processor, and I was like, man, this thing is so good. And then the Pentium came out, and I was oh. like, oh, man, this Pentium series is insane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nowadays, it's all about the i7. Yeah, the i-series. Good stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that is uh, Half-Life 2. I, I've actually heard really good things about that game. Um, so it's definitely a, a worthy checkout. And it's not very expensive nowadays because it's from 2004. No, so. it's not. Yeah. Um, yeah, awesome choice, Tim. Thank you. Uh, so what have you got for number two? <clears throat> number two. I'll uh I'll tell you what my number two game is, and I will tell you right after these messages. <laughs> Wait, so are you sponsored? No, I wish I was. Oh. I know. Well, if, <laughs> for potential sponsors out there, this is where you would be right now. Yeah. Yeah, I guess <laughs> the, that was like a perfect sponsor transition. If if only there were sponsors out there. I know. <laughs> I'm trying to help you out. That's uh that's that's what it would sound like. I mean, you keep people on their edges. Don't they want to know what the second game is? I know. I, I, so I know I have a 50-50 chance of knowing what it is, and I'm still really curious what the number two is. <laughs> well, I actually told you in this in the correct order, so. Uh, I actually don't what remember what the order was. Oh, okay. Yeah. Anyway, I'll get down to it. This game actually has the number three in it. <laughs> <laughs> and... Um, came out this year which i was surprised um at myself i think when i was coming up with my top three Mm. at how high i put it so um my game is witcher 3 wild hunt Ooh, very very new it's very new um i believe it was like march-ish that type of release um and man i i could probably talk about this forever um, I always try to sell it to people <laughs> that don't have it yet, which for whatever reason, uh, you guys, you and a couple of other of our friends haven't gotten in it yet. It, uh, so it was recently on, uh, 50% mm-hmm. off and that was like totally worth it 
and I would have gotten it if I don't have other games to play. Because I know if I bought it, like I would either have to push every other game back or like not play it, and then it just get cheaper. Uh-huh. So I was like, it, I, I have to take the latter. Like I will wait for like the sixty, seventy percent, and then like I'll, I'm gonna. Go. Mm, I guess. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Probably in terms of like, uh, hard to say. Hard to say. Mm-hmm. Um, Witcher three. Developed and published by CG, CD Project, uh, developed by CD Project Red. So they yes. must be like a CD Project Red. Yeah, they're uh, Polish. Mm, I see. I see. And uh, released on May nineteenth, two thousand fifteen. Oh, May, I was wrong. I, I thought it was March. Different M. <laughs> um. So, as the audience now knows, I have not played Witcher three. No. Nope. I don't. I don't know anything about this game. Mm-hmm. What is it? Ah, uh, there's so much. All right. Uh, how do we get into this? What genre is it? Like, I don't even know. Um, it's an RPG. It's, uh... I don't know. It's like... I, I really don't know how I could describe it to you. I guess if, like, uh, Dragon Age didn't... Does Dragon Age have, like, pausing... You can pause, right? Uh, in the battles? Like Knights of the Old Republic? Yeah, I believe so. It's yes. sort of like... Think of like Dragon Age, but you can't pause. So there's like this action battle element to it um, where you have to be dexterous or whatever. But um, I don't know. That's just kind of the image that comes into my mind if I'm trying to find comparisons. Is it mostly like first person? It's third person. Okay. Um you are the witcher named Geralt mm-hmm. and uh, you go around, you have swords. Okay, so there's a really unique thing. Um, a witcher is like a class of a person. A witcher is somebody who goes around basically dealing with monsters and other non-human creatures. So uh, towns will hire witchers. They'll say, like, um, a werewolf is attacking us at night or something. And so a witcher will come, and they'll give him money, and he'll investigate, ask people what's going on, and then he'll do whatever he needs to do to get rid of the werewolf. Um, depending on, like, the type of monster, it might be, like, he has to set up a some kind of, uh, like, some ritual or perform some kind of magic, and he'll... Um, have to like gather roots or something and create these potions. Um, so witchers are very like uh, knowledgeable about mystical creatures. Um, so uh, taking that, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. every witcher goes around wearing two swords, a steel sword and a silver sword. Um, so the steel sword is for humans and other creatures like that like if a dog attacks you i don't know and then uh every single um like monster in the game can't be damaged by steel and so you have to pull out your silver sword Mm. um and that's what you have to attack them with so the game is pretty smart it knows what type of enemy you're fighting so it'll automatically pull out your correct sword oh nice um and then there's also as far as battling goes there's these magic um uh things called signs and uh there's like six of them you have them all at the start so 
Um, you're not like worried about unlocking them. You've got things like throw, uh, like Spitfire, um, do like a gust of wind. Mm. You can, um, you can stun somebody like, like, uh, daze them. Mm. Um, you can place a trap down so that people that enter it slow down. And there's an interesting like thing there where if you fight these ghost creatures, uh, like wraiths, um, they're weak to this, this trap magic. And what it does is it sort of like reveals them and makes them more susceptible to, to damage. Um, so there's just like a lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of stuff going on. The battle mechanics are very versatile. Um, the Witcher 2 was very similar, but I, don't, I can't remember exactly what, but there were aspects of it that made it difficult, and then they they really refined it in mm. this game. Nice, um, nice. And it's it's very comfortable to play, I think. Mm. So, uh, again, well, we'll have to ask, is the story requires Witcher 1 and 2? Uh, okay, so this is tougher than Half-Life 2 because it does. But they do a great job at trying to tell you as much as they can without like overwhelming you um, and introducing characters that Geralt knows but like you don't. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so they find ways to just like describe them in conversation or whatever or like throw... If you need to know anything about the past, they'll like say, "Remember when we did whatever." Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's really not necessary to have played the other games. However, and I have not played The Witcher One. Um, everything that I've heard from people is that it doesn't really hold up well. I have mm-hmm. it though. Um, I just never really got into it. But The Witcher Two is actually really great. Mm. Um, I kind of stumbled across it on my own because I was just like playing some cheap games on sales and I ended up playing it more than I thought I would and then it ended up being a longer game than I expected it to be and it was a great experience overall. Um, It's like five-ish years old but it still has great graphics. Um, So for those who are thinking about playing The Witcher 3... I do recommend playing The Witcher 2 first, hmm. especially because it comes on sale cheap at the same time as The Witcher 3. But, um, awesome, awesome. The biggest difference is that Witcher 2 is uh, not open world and 3 is. But yeah, so you you definitely don't need to have played the other games. Gotcha. Yeah. So uh, so you you just touched on this, but... So Witcher 3 is uh so it's open world so you kind of just like run around and uh do you know favors and quests for the random villagers that need help and stuff like that. Um yes. So there's a main quest um dealing with this like some character that you're trying to search for. Um and it's very compelling. Um but there are a lot of side quests that you kind of run around the world doing um and i guess so there's really hmm, a lot to get into one thing is the world is huge so you have this starting area in the witcher 3 and Mm -hmm. it's a decent size 
and I heard um, when I was going in, there were like five worlds. And so when I played this this world, uh, this starter area, I was like, wow, this is pretty big. If there's five of these, like this is a big size game. Um, you know, I'm pretty happy with what I'm playing right now. Mm-hmm. And uh, so then I, you know, you get through it and then you open up into the next world and it's huge. Like it's got to be like five times the size of what you just played. Oh my goodness. And um, it's insane. And it's it's sort of like the main world. There aren't like five places like this one, but it's just huge. And then... You play this world for like maybe 80 hours. Mm-hmm. And then there's this extra world that you eventually come across. But a lot of people don't like to go there until they're completely done with the first world. Mm-hmm. And it's basically the same size. Um, uh, but it's like island-based. Um, and it's just sort of like... For me, when I played this game... Um, Particularly, like at the first world, when I completed it, I was like, "Wow, um, this second world is huge! I can't believe like how much I've already played so far, and how much like there is still left to play." And mm-hmm. then, when you completely get done with whatever that huge world is, and you go into that next world, which is um, the islands, you're like, "Wow, I can't believe after <laughs> everything that I've done, there's still this entire world for me to explore." That is so awesome. Um, yeah, and so I think one thing you can think is wow this is pretty overwhelming like this must be overwhelming because of how huge this game is that Tim's talking about mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but um just the way that like it comes to you in steps um and the way that the quest progression goes they don't like tell you to go all the way across the entire world the whole like for every quest um so i think that the um the mechanics really um hold your hand through it and then as you start to know more about the game you become more comfortable mm. um with how large it is um so chris uh are you gonna ask me about the side quests because i think we're about to go there yeah yeah uh okay yes i have another question lined up but oh, okay you know ask your question okay i just i just had to ask you um how does this game compare to Skyrim? Oh. Um, it's a million times better. Oh, really? Yeah. And I don't know if you know, but right here, this is the world of Tamriel. Oh, wow. Wall, right, so. right behind you there. <laughs> so, uh, we got a, uh, a better game than Skyrim. Yeah. Well, you um, you heard that just last week on the Game Awards, which apparently they sound super official, but it's just one set of awards. Um, did you hear that The Witcher 3 won Game of the Year? It did, it did. It did. And uh, so I at least have somebody else who thinks the same as me. Didn't Skyrim come out last year? or Skyrim? Wait. Oh, man. No, dude. It came out like... 11 or 12, I think. Oh, yeah. So, okay. So then, like, Game of the Year would be, like, not including Skyrim, though. Definitely. Yeah. I I just mean that, um, 
as far as like all the other games that came out this year, they had like Fallout 4 to choose from. True. Um, I'm definitely not the only one that thought that The Witcher 3 was the best for this year. Mm. This year had great games too. So, um, huh. I am a very big Skyrim fan. So what what makes Witcher 3 better than Skyrim? Okay, so there are a lot of things. There are a lot of differences. So I can see so part of Skyrim that like people like is you can be anybody you want. Mm-hmm. Um and you can almost you can like join almost any faction so you can rise the ranks to those factions. Yes. Um So those things are really cool. Um and that is not technically present in The Witcher 3. Um, however, I think those aspects of Skyrim are in ways kind of limiting. Um, so the fact that you can be anybody you want and the fact that you can join any faction, mm-hmm. it's... Uh, mm, so they can't really do a lot with your character because they have to make every possible character like fit into that um, slot. Correct. So you have to say a lot of generic things. Um, and you already know that, like, oh, if I join the Mages Guild, I'm going to become the Headmaster or whatever. Like, if I join the Assassin's Guild, I'm going to become the Assassin's Leader at some point. Um, and it's less... It's less like be whoever you want to be and more go around and do everything. Yeah, um, I could see that. I could see that. So, and and by the way, I don't mean to um, like criticize Skyrim. Skyrim mm-hmm. was great and I played it a lot and it was fun. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just mean to like point out where The Witcher 3 excels. So... Um, all right. So we're going to get into it. So, <laughs> so kind of back to what I was talking about. Side quests in The Witcher 3. Oh, okay, okay. Awesome segue. Um, CD Projekt Red, the uh, developer, mm-hmm. they take super, super good care of all of their side quests. Um, in a lot of the open world games that exist right now, there are things like uh, very repetitive, like, cookie cutter style uh, like missions like say in Assassin's Creed it's uh, like you've got to go here and get to the top of every building and then then you've got to like do deliveries or whatever um, maybe there's like an escort mission I don't know um, and in Skyrim it, it's a lot of like go to this place and clean it out and um, come back. And so with The Witcher, like, I guess in a sense, you could still dumb it down if you like wanted to be super like um, picky, I guess. But what they do is every side quest is different. Um, you don't know what the side quest is going to be. They, they make stories to every side quest. Um, and you can find yourself like getting wrapped up in things that you didn't expect. Um, So I will go ahead and spoil one side quest. Um, 
And if you don't like that, skip ahead to like a minute. <laughs> <laughs> but um, anyway, so there's a side quest and you hear like uh, this woman got, like she disappeared. And um, so your objective is to, you're supposed to investigate where did she go. You find out that um, she was like just killed by a werewolf, I believe. Um, and you have an option to kind of like go back to whoever hired you. I think it's um, her husband is mm-hmm. the one who hired you, something like that. We'll just say it's the husband. You go back to him and you tell him a werewolf killed her. Here's like the evidence I found of scraps and stuff. And uh, you basically have an option of like saying, like, all right, quest is over, um, that's done. But you also have an option to kind of look more into it. So you can find the werewolf's lair, and then there's some more like things that come into it. I believe you find out that like the wife's like sister, it loves the husband too. And um, there's like, yeah, there was like this love triangle and she didn't really like, I think she, uh, she like lures her sister out on purpose because she knows that there's like a werewolf that's going to kill her. Something along those lines. And um, you can find the werewolf's lair and you find out that it's actually the guy, the husband is a werewolf and he doesn't like know it. And then he kind of like transforms right in front of you and um, you have to defeat him and kill him or whatever. So there's just like a lot of complexity to a side quest like this. Mm. And the thing about The Witcher 3 is there are tons of side quests just like this. Um, where they can take unexpected turns. And um, it's it's enjoyable. And you don't really feel like you're doing busy work mm-hmm. like getting through these. Um. Uh, so, second thing <laughs> about the side quests, sort of, is um, I guess I have to kind of talk about Geralt. So, Chris, ask me about Geralt. Who's Geralt? Uh, yeah. So, who's Geralt? <laughs> <laughs> so, Geralt is this Witcher. Mm-hmm. Part of being a Witcher, you have to go through these trials. Um. And um, so part of these trials is you have to take these like hormone type like medicine things, which basically, I forget what they call them. It's mutagens, I believe. They like, they strip you of a lot of things, but they end up increasing um, things like your strength and your um, metabolism, um, stuff like that. And uh, they give you, like, yellow eyes, which is, like, a, a an aspect of every witcher on top of, like, their identifiable two swords. You have these yellow cat-like eyes. Um, and uh, another thing is that it, it strips you of your emotions. Um, and particularly with Geralt, because he, like, took so many of these mutagens or whatever, that he's very emotionless. So his character... He's got a very deep voice. Um, he just kind of like... Uh, I don't really have like a, like a sentence or whatever, but 
it's just it's very monotonous in a way. Okay. Um, and you're like, uh, all right, Chris, I killed that werewolf for you. <laughs> you have the coins for me. And um, so there's this, there's this whole like emotionless thing. Um, and on top of that, you kind of like learn throughout the game that he does have some emotions and he's kind of like dealing like fighting some some battles like dealing with this because he's like worried that he doesn't have emotions etc but anyway kind of the point that i'm trying to make is you are this character and you fit like within this sort of mold that they've created for him um whereas in a game like skyrim and this is just where it's different it's just different in a game like Skyrim, you can be anybody, mm-hmm. but in a game like The Witcher, you're Geralt. I and see. so um, all of the decisions that you make, which is a huge part of the game, by the way, is mm-hmm. um, decision-making. You make decisions based on, in some ways, like um, things that Geralt would choose. Mm-hmm. Um, and the decisions aren't easy, so they're not... There's no good and evil in this game. Um, there's no renegade and paragon. Um, you can't say I'm going to be a good person, and I'm just going so I know what types of choices to choose. Um, it's always going to be really, really difficult choices. Like, um, do I bring this girl back to her abusive father, who is remorseful, or? Do I let the girl go free because he was abusive um, and like he's just going to have to live with it? But at the same time, the father has like some information that he can tell me about what I'm looking for. Um, so you're constantly playing tons of uh, tons of these choices where nothing seems completely. It's not black and white. Mm, um, really, and then really sometimes cool. you you make a choice and you're like, I feel really comfortable with this choice. And then it turns out, like five minutes down the line, um, that there's a consequence that came along with that choice that you're just like, oh, geez, I would have probably rather lived with the first choice or something no like way, that. You know? crazy. Um, and I think for me, like when I played the game... I did have that experience and mm. but at the time it was like it's like 15 or 20 minutes later after I had made the choice when I actually saw the consequences of the choice. And so I was just kind of like, well if I reload this, I have to go through all of that again just to kind of like see what's going to happen. And so because of that, I was just like, you know, I made the choice. I'll just live with it, and I'll just keep playing my my file. Like I feel comfortable playing, making the decisions that I I made. Like this is my my file, my world, my character. Um, and sure, there's no like renegade or paragon, but there's definitely like a personalized as- aspect to it, and mm. and you see like these consequences, um, uh, like unfold and. And uh, they they really show up in the world. Um, mm-hmm. Kind of throwing it back, Witcher 2 has a huge decision somewhat in the middle to earlier in the game. And it's just like this, where you have no idea what the right choice should be, both 
both choices seem equally um, good or bad. And uh, I don't know. I think that that's that's just kind of why I loved it. That's really cool. That's so clever that like instead of being like, oh, you know, you made the wrong decision, like, you know, restart now or (laughs) to change it. It's like, you know, oh, you made a decision like that's cool. And then they kind of like drag you along for a little bit. And then they're like, oh, guess what? <laughs> yeah, like, oh, yeah, guess what? Those, the parents of that person ended up dying because of what you did. Ah. <laughs> uh. um, so in terms of the side quests, so it's not so much like the, the gameplay mechanics that make it unique as much as it is like the story and the immersion of said quests, like the depth yes. of these quests. Yeah, definitely. I I think that the gameplay mechanics do not hinder the game in any way. Mm-hmm. Um, the battles are pretty fun. Um, some people think that they can get really repetitive, but I felt like they were always dynamic. Um, there's a lot of like searching in the game. You can put on these Witcher senses, and you've got to look for clues. Because mm. you're kind of like a detective because you're super perceptive. It's almost like um, those Batman games, like yeah. Arkham games. It's almost like that. Um, but... Uh, so, like, those things are cool, but they're just not, like, the the crazy things that, you know, what we were just talking about. Yeah, um, yeah. They're not, like, the, the super deep, like, yeah, almost the, innovative. The story choices. It is. It's really innovative in a way um, because of, like, their attention to detail of how many side quests they really just... Um, they had to really create like special things for every side quest. They couldn't mm-hmm. just copy paste, you know? Right. Right. Um, and like, they didn't take the easy way out of saying, um, okay, well you can kill these people or you can let them live and not get a bunch of coins or something, you know? Um, I, I almost feel like those types of choices are really lazy in a way or mm. like easy to make. And they definitely didn't do that. Man, that's super exciting. That's really, really cool. Yeah. I uh, I hope I'm selling you on this then. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 oh, I'm so sold. I I love video games and I love... Um, you you uh, could definitely find me uh, talking up a, a company like BioWare because of decision making, mm. um, because of changing things because of character development and then this game just sounds like it it does all of that yeah and i think that's why like when i played fallout 4 after this game i really uh it was like a cheapened experience because i've had this game where they took so much detail like attention to detail um and then you have fallout 4 where in comparison, it just feels super repetitive mm. um, and not as alive. Um, so, yeah, and I think. Uh, uh, sorry, what, what were you gonna say? Oh, um, I was just gonna say that uh, Witcher Three really fell like under the radar. Um, mm-hmm. Like it, it got really good reviews, and like obviously got like Game of the Year award and. 
Um, and it was like, you know, like really high ratings and people loved it. But for some reason, like it was never like the like the crazy hype that some of these other releases had. And so yeah. for such like a like top notch game, it seems like it kind of slipped, you know, under people's noses. Yeah, I um, I mean, I was looking at like the budgets and stuff of games like Metal Gear Solid five had like an 80 million dollar development budget um just for development no marketing wow and then um like the witcher 3 has like a like a 46 million dollar development budget and a little bit less of like a marketing budget like about the same so um i guess it uh they were able to do a lot with a small budget which shows how good the team is of mm. CD Projekt Red. And then on top of it, um, I think, like, uh, well, they were definitely rewarded. I think that it's it has sold very well compared to, like, you know, what they were hoping to get. Mm. Like, like it, you're right that it's under the radar. Um, but they overperformed, I'm sure. Right, right. I mean, uh, it could still do well, but like considering how mm-hmm. awesome it is, right? Right, right. And I think, uh, yeah, like for me, The Witcher Three definitely would have been under the radar if I hadn't played The Witcher Two mm. like a couple years ago, just randomly, and I just randomly really, really enjoyed it. So, um, yeah, I guess. Uh, yeah, it's a it's a good it's a good under the radar game for those who haven't played it. Yeah, um, to pick it up, dude, I'm sold. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, by the way, a huge thing. So it's an open world game. It's, obviously, there's going to be a lot of bugs with it, um, but CD Projekt Red has done tons of like post release stuff. So. I think in some ways people would say that's a bad thing. Um, like, oh, well, why couldn't you release like a perfect game from the beginning? Why would you have to fix it afterwards? Right. Um, and I can understand that, but I think some of the things that are really cool is that they really uh, paid attention to like the community. So a lot of the complaints, um, besides just like bug fixes, they actually address. So there's like there were a couple movement things. Some people felt like movement on the horse was uh, could have been better. They addressed that in like the second patch. Um, people felt like the storage system was really, really bad, and um, you couldn't store things in chests, so you always have to like drop stuff. People wanted to like carry different kinds of armors, so they created a storage system where like at your home base or whatever, um, you can put your arm extra armors in there um so they like listen to people and then um there's like this uh character that you can romance and towards the end of the game the dialogue choices are really subpar for this character Mm. um like you can say like one line to her and um and they actually went back and like i believe they re-recorded some new stuff and then they put they put it in as like just like some extra dialogue so you can just talk to her and feel more fulfilled about it um, wow that's really cool so yeah it's um that's why like i would especially say even now 
like when I played it when I released, it was still like top top notch for me. Mm-hmm. But now they've fixed so many um so many like small issues and then they've addressed different like uh things that people had gripes with. Um so like at this point, um after like twelve patches, they uh it's a really, really solid product. Ooh. Dude, that's yeah. so enticing. I know. And the DLC, man, oh, it was perfect. Like, <laughs> it's such a compelling story. It wasn't, like, necessary to the main story, but it was uh, quite quite the, um, quite the experience. And then there's Gwent in this game, so that's, like, a card game. Um, it's, like, this whole... It's like Hearthstone, I guess. <laughs> like you, you go around, and it turns out like all these characters can play this card game. Like they, like main characters and like quests and stuff. You can just like talk to them, and um, they're like, "Oh, help me find my baby." And then you're like, "How about a game of Gwent?" <laughs> and then you battle, and then when you win, he gives you a card. Whatever. Uh, this is so funny. I just wanted to throw that in because. Gwent is a really cool, like, min, like side, whole like side aspect of the game where you can collect cards and then it makes your deck stronger for um, going against other people. So but, uh, when you, so when you go through the game and you're like, you know, kind of towards the end and you've gone through a lot of the world, uh, do you feel like, in a sense, you have like, con- quote unquote, conquered the world? And not, I don't mean, like, literally, like, you conquered everyone, but, like, say mm-hmm. you go back to, like, an old town, you know, people are, like, grateful you helped them, or, like, you have a house there, you know? Yeah. Um, there isn't a ton of that. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I, I have thought about this before. Um, so as far as, like, replay value, um, you can see some of your, like consequences of like saving people or whatever you can see that um but there's not like a ton of reason to like go back and enjoy the fruits of your questing i guess Mm -hmm. um and so i guess that's that's definitely a somewhat of a weakness of the game but my own defense when i think about that is like i can show you that i've played 170 hours of the witcher 3 so, like, maybe the content isn't as replayable to go back and revisit, but there's just so much mm. that it almost doesn't matter because you can just go somewhere else. Right. And, um, so. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I was mostly just wondering because um, because of, like, the, the neutrality of your decision-making, of, you know, not necessarily being one way is better than the other. Mm-hmm. So it, it's not because like to get like the whole like you know, uh, I'm the best or like I conquered the world. Everything needs to end up you know paragon or positive. Oh, as a good okay. Guy, right? mm-hmm. And so because these decisions are a little more neutral, like a little more gray area, you, you mm-hmm. kind of get like a different effect, right? Definitely, you um, you will see the you know the consequences of your actions. Like if you end up killing someone. You won't see them anymore, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's no state of the game where 
like you can say, um, yeah, like this is a hundred percent Paragon or whatever. Mm. Um, like you're not going to be to a point where I need to redo this quest or like, I wish I could redo this quest because, um, then my world would come out better or anything like that. Mm. Yeah. That's so interesting. That's a, yeah, that's so cool. (laughs) Yep. Yep. And I mean, I, um, if you get the game, I, I know it's going to be a while. Like, I don't think you're going to beat it, um, until like a hundred percent certainty until after 80 hours, uh, starting starting to get less certain, but like it took me about 130. So, um, yeah, you're no. definitely gonna take 100 to 110 hours. I am a I am a slow, completionist, immersive gamer. So, if mm-hmm. you have an estimate, I would probably add like 20 hours to it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, then you'll take 130 hours, then, just like me. <laughs> that is so cool. And like, I know for a lot of people, especially our age, um, time is you know valuable. It's uh, really daunting to think like, oh, you know at least 80 hours to play a game. Mm-hmm. But like, think about the Jeremy scale of dollar <laughs> per hour. Yeah, $1 per one hour. And you just got yourself a deal. <laughs> yeah, you can buy this during the winter sale for $30 probably. And then uh, that's like a quarter, quarter per hour. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you hear that, Jeremy? <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> um, yeah, so... The Witcher 3, uh, do you have any last words for the Witcher 3? Uh, there's just so much. I I still, like, I know that there's a ton that I haven't touched on. Um, I could go on for hours, probably. Um, I sense a Witcher 3 episode. Uh, yeah, we'll probably have to have one. Um, the world is huge. Like, they, it's, it's like a Mass Effect type of world where, I was listening to your guys' podcast um, about that, where you, there's lore and different races and um, just all these different things that you can learn about the world if you get deeper into it. Um, and so they definitely have a world in The Witcher 3 where um, there's just tons of tons of things like politics and um, different races and okay. different characters and all each character has different backgrounds. So um, there's just really like a lot there if you like it so much that you want to get more into it Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and so final question is there any multiplayer for the witcher 3 that is uh no there is no multiplayer okay which in a way like is better yeah i there's not really much that they could do there i think people have probably made websites where you can play Gwent. Yeah, that's all I was thinking. (laughs) Yeah, but other than that, um, I don't think that they're ever going to come out with like a Gwent matchmaking. Um, (laughs) Gwent is a little OP sometimes. Like towards the end, um, you get like really, really strong cards, but it's still fun to like completely (laughs) obliterate main characters. Oh, that's... Speaking of which, one of the really cool side quests, because uh-huh. there's tons of cool side quests, and this is just one that's coming up. There's a Gwent tournament. <laughs> so it's like it's like Magic the Gathering tournament. Like, um, like a guy like stands at the door and he says like, "You don't have good enough cards. You can't play." 
So you've got to like go around and get better cards, and then um, yeah, you've got to like beat like four or five people, and uh, and then there's there's some complexity, some twists in the side quest. It's not straight up just you know beat everybody and then you finish the quest, but um, yeah, so funny. Yeah, it's just uh, it's pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> uh yeah, so that's The Witcher three. I might give it the go ahead and buy it on the winter sale. Thanks Do a it. lot, Tim. Do it. <laughs> um, but for tonight we have our finale. Mm-hmm. Number one. Number one is, and I'm pretty sure nobody has said this one before. I've taken some care. Anyway, no one this has. game. I don't believe they have. Uh, this is Ocarina of Time, The Legend mm-hmm. of Zelda. And uh, this is my number one. There's a lot that goes here. I know that different Zelda games come to different people. Um, but this is mine. I think that this is probably the more uh, culturally accepted, like maybe greatest Zelda game. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. As far as like, uh, like popularity goes, but um, yeah, this one is is definitely it has to be my top one. Yeah, uh, Legend of Zelda: Ocarina of Time. Let's see, developed by Nintendo EAD, published by Nintendo, and released um, for the Nintendo sixty four, November twenty first, nineteen ninety eight. Hmm. Mm. Do you know how old I was then? <laughs> how old were you? I was six years old then. You were six? Oh, you you little child. <laughs> <laughs> and you're so old, though. <laughs> Shut <For> up. Real. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, um, oh, don't forget to mention um, uh, the composer, Ooh, Koji, yes. Koji Kondo. Mm. He's uh, Mr. Mr. Nintendo. Yes, all those, all these games under his belt, different Mario ones and Zeldas and everything. Yeah, I yeah he yeah he does a lot of Nintendo stuff. Mm-hmm. And there he's very, he's a very dynamic composer. Like a lot of his stuff, I'm like, like usually for composers, after listening to a lot of their stuff, I can, I can start kind of hearing and feeling their style. And yeah. Like, okay, but Koji Kondo. That guy is a chameleon, man. Yep. I mean, you know the um, you know like the banjo kazooie guys. Oh, I forget the name, but whoever it was that did banjo kazooie, um, uh, rare. Got, n- no, the composer Grant Kirkhope is who. Sorry, I I'm pulling out um my video game music knowledge. <laughs> um, Grant Kirkhope has this completely iconic like playful musical style but anyway you're right koji kondo super diverse he's got like these mario galaxy like um grand orchestral pieces yeah (laughs) and he's got like legend of zelda just um i guess i don't really know what i would call it but uh yeah, it's very diverse. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so my opinion 
and I am a I am a slightly older gamer. Mm-hmm. So as I played through Ocarina of Time, it before we get into anything, it like the overarching story and Ocarina of Time. So I'm play, I'm replaying through it right now on the 3DS. Yeah, and there's a lot of subtle details that Ocarina of Time had over A Link to the Past. Yes, I'm doing the comparison. Okay. Um, but the overarching story reminded me too much of A Link to the Past. And I'm not saying Ocarina of Time is a bad game. Like, I'm playing it for, like, the fifth time, and it's great. Mm-hmm. But it's hard for me to put it over A Link to the Past because as an older gamer, I played A Link to the Past throughout my my childhood. Yeah. And then I'm like, oh, like... You know, there's like a light world, dark world, and then adult world, young link world, and then the seven crystals and the three pendants and all that jazz. But besides that point, 3Difying A Link to the Past and doing it the way they did with Ocarina of Time was ingenious. Good job, Nintendo. Yeah, it. Uh, I can see a lot of those comparisons, but this was so... I guess maybe not so, but it was very groundbreaking. Um, yeah. Oh, I guess definitely. you've got like Super Mario 64 coming out first, right? Yeah. I think that was like the release for Nintendo 64. But yep, yep. Um, I believe Ocarina of Time, I've heard that it's the same engine. Um, really? Yeah, that's what I've hmm. heard. Um, but uh, yeah, it was just crazy that they could turn... Zelda into 3D, and in my opinion, it's like a masterpiece. And um, to be able to like do that on the first try is uh, is quite something. Yeah, yeah. Um, and like it, it's really easy to think like, oh, you know, they just uh, took this game, uh, put like 3D polygons or because they don't use sprites, right? 3D polygons together, sure. and then yeah. and then that's it. You got, like, the 3D game. But then you have to think about, like, oh, but then you got these different angles now, and then uh, how are you going to fight with your sword easily, right? How how does your camera, which the Nintendo 64 controller doesn't have two joysticks yet, so mm-hmm. how does your camera follow, you know, your enemy well? Uh, and how do you switch between equipments, right? Like, you got to think about all these different things. And, uh yeah. Yeah, they really solved all those answers. Um, I mean, just the fact, you know, now that you're mentioning it, like, that you could really aim in the game. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You've got the bow, like, well, slingshot and stuff. Um, like, I don't think that's that present in other games. Like, I don't know where it came out in comparison to GoldenEye. Um, but, like, GoldenEye, you've got, you basically shoot straight. And if you press a button, you can kind of, like, make it go up and down. Mm-hmm. Um, Super Mario 64, you've got this overhead camera view, which you can kind of aim it, but it's not really a core part of the gameplay. Um, but in Zelda, that's that's a pretty big part of it. Um, they came up with, like, that locking on system. Um, hold Z to lock on. That's really ingenious, yeah. considering, like... Um, that's that's really the main way you're going to control your camera, um, especially in fights. Um, yeah. yeah, so good. Uh, GoldenEye came out, it says, about a year before Ocarina of Time. Mm. Um, 
Yeah, so it they're different games though, because you know you got the sure. FPS and then you got like third person adventure. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, okay. So Ocarina of Time, I just want to like fanboy about it a little bit, real quick. Um, I play it like every chance that I've really gotten. Um, I played it a lot on the 64. Although, like with my brothers, I had to like share it with them. Um, when I had a when I first learned about emulators, like I totally played it through like probably two or three times. And when I got the when I heard that I was coming out on the 3DS, um, I played that one through like three times. Like, Dang! So no I way. think I did like 100. percent And then I wanted to do. Um, I think they had like, do they have a hard mode or something on it? Yep, they do. They have the Master Quest. Yeah, I wanted it, so I did that one. Oh, speaking of, they had it on the GameCube too, so we played it then. <laughs> um, uh, and then I wanted to do a three heart run, so I did that. Wow. Uh, and then like, I lost my Ocarina of Time 3DS game, Aww. and then I cried. <laughs> not, not really, but I. Uh, it was a bummer, but yeah. Um, yeah, I've played through the game so much, and uh, I. What's weird for me is that I hate playing things twice, or like watching a movie twice, because um, I know what's gonna happen or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, like, just the experience, like the gameplay, it's just fun and like rewarding. Um, I'm sure there's definitely a huge tinge of uh, nostalgia involved, <laughs> but um, there's just something about the game that that makes me want to play it more when I play it for a little bit. All right, Tim, we got to ask the big question here. What makes this game better than the other Zeldas? Uh, that's a tough one, but... I think, um, so, one thing is, it's for me, I've always felt that it's huge, like, um, like, you've got, like, Hyrule Field, and it has this great big feeling of, of, uh, you've got this large world here, yeah, um, and there's, like, these four corners that you can go to, and, um, um, they just do like a great job of of like sending you everywhere, and then there are pieces of hearts that you can go back to um, when you've unlocked better items. Um, I think that that's just a really unique part. Um, as far as like, I feel like Wind Waker was great, but the fact that like most of the game you spend uh sailing yeah was like a really big turnoff for me mm. and um like mm, like for me wind waker even though it's very obviously bigger than um ocarina of time it uh it feels smaller in a way because all it is is ocean and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um a lot of islands yeah a lot of islands and the islands, it just makes it feel, like, isolated and, uh, like, kind of, like, claustrophobic in a way. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, 
so yeah uh as far as like the other games like twilight princess is in a way it it comes returns to the uh standard ocarina of time type of uh of gameplay Mm. um i don't know i think that they probably tried to do a little bit too much um i think They've always got this mechanic in all of their Zelda games. They, this one core gameplay mechanic. And um, so with A Link to the Past, it's, you know, like going into the dark world. Mm-hmm. In Ocarina of Time, it's this uh, this young young world, old world, um, future and past. And then in uh, Wind Waker, it's sailing, obviously. Mm-hmm. In Twilight Princess, it's being a wolf. Um, the fact that you can like go back and forth. Um, I think that, oh, in Majora's Mask, the fact that, um, you have to restart the time because if you wait too long and the world dies, right. I think the fact that in Ocarina of Time, the, the gameplay mechanic is going to the temple of time and, uh, switching between the worlds. I think that it doesn't get in the way. Um, mm. So it's a very, like, besides switching between the two worlds at that one spot, um, it's a very vanilla experience, which I kind of feel like makes it better. Um, Mm -hmm. I can see that, totally. Yeah, and I think just the fact that it's the first 3D one, they have different 3D puzzles they were able to come up with that... uh, don't feel at that time they don't feel used or like overused or mm-hmm. like really obvious um uh like geez have you played skyward sword i played the part of it oh um it like so much of the the puzzles in the mm-hmm. game are just like swing your sword in the direction that it, clearly it looks like you need to be swinging it <laughs> um and uh, do you know, like, the Triforce Heroes? That's the three-player one, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so, like, this game, um, like, the solution to every puzzle is, well, why don't you try picking each other up? <laughs> and uh, Because that's, like, the mechanic, and they've just got all these, like, totem poles and different platform sizes, and hmm. only one Link can stand on this color platform, so he's got to pick up the other ones. So that's literally like the solution to every puzzle. Mm. Um, in uh, in Ocarina of Time, it's not right, so, right. Like overused, you know. So the the only two Zeldas that I haven't played are Skyward Sword, and I played through part of it, but then my uh, my old man dexterity couldn't handle the controls. Oh, <laughs> and. Uh, and then I haven't. I just haven't had the chance to play through Twilight Princess. Mm-hmm. Uh, but from every other Zelda game I played, uh, Link to the Past and Ocarina of Time are the only ones where they really outdone outdone themselves with the world. And I love uh, Wind Waker World, but like what I'm talking about is like uh, like mostly by by dungeon count, right? You have like the seven yep. in the big world and then the three at the light world or the small world and then 
Uh, and then you don't really have that in the other ones. It's a lot of like maybe four dungeons and you repeat them or some sort mm-hmm. of like, you know, other quest. And uh, it it doesn't make the other games bad, but it definitely does bring the expansiveness that you describe into Ocarina of Time. Yeah, uh, that's a really interesting point because I definitely, every time I play a Zelda game, that's how you measure it is how many dungeons there are. Yeah, it's yeah. kind of silly because they, they do a lot um, to just to make the game long. So, you know, we're like we're not measuring it by hours as we, you know, measure our Steam games. We're just measuring it by like... Dungeon count. Um, yeah, dungeon count. That's literally it. That's, that's the solution. Um, but, uh, yeah. Um, let's see. I know, like, Twilight Princess, they wanted to make it seem longer. And what they do is they make you go through every world twice, basically. Once as a wolf, you have to, like, collect everything. And then you can go through it as a human and, like, do the normal objectives. So it it just makes it feel repetitive yeah, uh, yeah. when you do that. And the same thing with Skyward Sword. I'm sure if you played it just a little bit, you've still already seen... I forget um, exactly what the mechanic was, but you have to go around everything, like every world, a second time mm. um, to collect whatever it was that you had to collect. Um, and it's super repetitive, and it's like a really obvious attempt to be able to reuse the maps that they already created and make the game longer. Um, but that's definitely not there in Ocarina of Time. There's So you've got... In Ocarina of Time, you have these three like dungeons as a kid yep and if it's like your first time playing a game like that it probably will take you a while to get through it and then you upgrade into adult link and you're like whoa there's gonna be like six more dungeons or is it five seven seven yeah it's because there's the seven uh seven medallions yeah yeah, the medallions, yeah. But yeah. I guess the seventh one would be Ganon's Castle. Oh, so, that's a dungeon. Yeah, I guess it is a dungeon. I don't ever count the that's final. That's true, dungeon. it doesn't count. Okay, six. Yeah. So I was, I guess I was right the first time, six. Um, uh, yeah. Just the fact that there's, like, so many, and then the way that they, like, reveal it to you. Similar to, like, what I was saying about The Witcher, where you have this starter world, and you're like, wow, this is pretty big. And then you get... Uh, you get to the real world and you're like, wow, this is bigger. Yeah. Um, same idea. You've got these three dungeons and then, wow, there's six dungeons. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that's that's uh, similar to in The Link to the Past, right? You've got a couple dungeons and then you unlock the dark world, yep, right? Three and, and six. Um, yep. Yeah, so that's that's definitely really good. And, you know, I don't I don't dislike A Link to the Past at all. Um but I just, I felt like the fact that it is 3D, I guess, in Ocarina of Time, mm-hmm, it's, mm-hmm. it's this, like, more personal type of experience um, of, like, really feeling like you could be in there yourself, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Yeah, the one thing interesting about Ocarina of Time is I would say it, and maybe Twilight Princess is more like this, but Ocarina of Time, you do have your annoying fairy, uh, Navi. Oh, yeah. Uh, But besides that, like, that game felt very, um, 
what's it called? It, it felt very barren and like lonely almost, especially as an adult. Uh, the world is huge, mm-hmm. and and when you enter the adult world, it it's it kind of mirrors like the dark world, right? It's very dark, and Ganon kind of destroyed things, and so mm-hmm. thing, things felt barren. And then like um, and like when you meet people, it's like very scarce, and like they they're like, oh, you know, like I'm so glad I met you, and it's like you're you're kind of on your own in like this really big lonely world, and that's not like. That's not a necessarily a bad thing at all. It, in fact, kind of adds to, like the, the seriousness of Adult Link. Yeah, I'm. I'm glad you brought this up because, uh, I mean, I guess I probably would have too. But, <laughs> um, it, for me, I guess adding on to that, there's something super cool. Um, as far as like role playing goes, you know, you feel like you're Link mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. since Link doesn't have any words, um, it's not like Link has a different personality than you do. Um, so you might as well just put yourself there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, so when you get to when you leave, everything like gets destroyed, as you say. And so when you get to come back, you're like this mysterious hero, and you get to see your old friends who don't recognize you and and um there's something like like magical in a way about it like they don't really remember me but i'm going to like save them and mm-hmm. um and like i'm going to go back in time after i defeat ganondorf and and no one will ever know because i did it in the future or whatever and um i guess that's like a whole separate lore thing but i guess it's just like it's this really really um, cool, I guess, like, I would say romantic in a way, um, <laughs> like, experience of, um, of, like, you are, you're a hero and people don't know it, and, uh, and, yeah, like, it, it's just, uh, like, I don't know, I, like, when you, when you help people, uh, you know what I'm saying here? Yeah, 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 it's like, I'm at a loss for words, but it, what what is that word? It's like it's not like mystical, but kind of like that that mystical idea of um of like you as a player understand things mm-hmm. that like the world you're in technically doesn't, and so you you are like the you know the hero that everyone needs, but like they don't they don't yeah. know yeah yeah. It- it's like in like every anime ever, <laughs> like Naruto, he's goes off in trains or like Goku, he goes off in trains. And then when they come back, the world is in such need of them and the people don't recognize them because their body has changed or whatever. And, <laughs> like, they're so strong now. And um, like, and then they just completely like, obliterate the first opponent they come up against whatever um i think it is it's something probably related to like the hero's journey mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. trope um, yeah where you know you, you you like have this growth um experience as a as a character when your character grows um and you get to really show that off to the world mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um so uh, yeah that's a it's a very um cool experience 
Yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah, it, it's, uh, it's easy to have a different, uh, favorite Zelda, but Ocarina of Time mm-hmm. definitely had its, had its bright point when it came out. Yeah. And it's, uh, definitely, uh, the most popular amongst many for a good reason. Mm-hmm. I think it, it, it's probably my favorite just for the fact that it came out when I was young. Um, and I've got like my brothers playing it and, uh, I just have like this memory of like my dad reading the, uh, the opening like Deku tree, like talking to Navi thing. Oh, uh, so awesome. Um, and like, cause like I'm, you know, six at this point and, uh, sure I can read a little bit, but, um, it's like when you, your parents like read stuff to you, it's that type yeah. of thing. Yeah. Um, and that just brings actually more to it. Like you have this link and at the beginning he's lonely and Navi is sent to him because he's the hero. And um, yeah, it's just, it's just this, uh, this just interesting feeling to play um, where your, your character is lonely, but then you save the world and, and uh, I don't know, it's very romantic. (laughs) I think everybody can identify with like feelings of loneliness and, and everyone kind of feels like they're the main character of their own story. So it's like, <laughs> wow, I could be the savior of the world and nobody will know. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, obviously we're not heroes, but it's very identifiable in a way. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and really quick, the music. I know we talked about it a little bit before, uh, but... Yeah. Uh, do you, Okay, how do you pronounce your name? Is it Saraya or Saria? Oh man, go it's I I feel like it okay, it's Soraya. Um that's how I pronounce it. Me too, I, me too. I feel like that's how it's always been. I, I hear people say like Saria and stuff. And uh it's definitely Soraya. Soraya's song. Yeah. Uh, uh Soraya's song is uh I think it's my favorite in that game. It's so good. Yeah, it's very very good. I mean, the fact that like you have these full-on songs created from three-note, like, uh, melodies. Yeah. Like, do-do-do. <laughs> and then Koji Kondo just goes ahead and creates this big, like, soundtrack to that. Like, Can you imagine, like... Do-do-do. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, can you imagine, like, Nintendo EADs, like, hey, uh, we're going to put in uh, an ocarina system. Uh, like a, like a link to the past, but instead now we're gonna bring it one step further, and you can play the ocarina. Oh wait 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 hold hold on I've got a question. What's an ocarina? <laughs> <laughs> but then but then they're like um but but because of you know uh what's it called like technical limitations this ocarina can only play uh like a few notes and so uh you think you can make songs for us (laughs) he's like the heck and he's like (laughs) it's like yep you heard us (laughs) he's probably like sure i mean i've i've uh never had this type of direction before (laughs) normally i've got to make it up from scratch Uh, oh man but oh that reminds me like the um the song of storms yeah that's like the coolest thing ever just the fact that like you learn it as an adult 
because um, uh, the windmill guy, um, he is so upset in the future that a kid played a song and then ruined his like uh, his windmill or whatever. Oh yeah, he's so upset, and he's like, "Man, that kid." This is the song that the kid played for me. And then he teaches you the song and then you go back to be a kid and then you play the song to him and he gets and then like the thing gets destroyed and he's like so mad. <laughs> and it turns out that you were the reason why um he was so mad and and remembers the song of storms for forever. Right, right. Um like obviously there's like a time paradox there because you're teaching him the song which he teaches to you later, but um yeah it's, it's just a really cool yeah. funny funny thing in the story yeah that yeah they uh nintendo does a good job with time even in uh, majora's mask yeah they, uh, yeah majora's mask it really takes uh like the darker elements of ocarina of time because mm-hmm. there are definitely dark elements there um and it really just like it expands upon it like <laughs> yeah. tenfold <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um. So, do you have any? Uh, do you have any last words for Ocarina of Time? Mm. Yeah. Um. I'm just really glad that they came out with um it on the 3ds. I mean, obviously, I don't have the game anymore because I lost it. Mm. But um, I think, I think you know, obviously, they're gonna do what makes them money. But I think that. Everybody was happy that they came out with Ocarina of Time on the 3DS. Like, it's, you know, slightly better graphics and it's on a handheld. And anytime you can play this, like, open um, RPG like Zelda on a handheld, like, those are the best types of handheld games, I think. Yeah, um, yeah, for sure. When it feels, like, expansive in just the palm of your hand. Um, and then on top of that, you know, everyone is saying, oh, when are they going to release Majora's Mask? And they did um, for the 3DS. Yeah, yeah. I think just the fact that like they're sort of listening to people in that way. Um, and he, again, I mentioned that like they're going to do whatever makes them money. But um, it's just cool that like nowadays in this day and age, you've got like developers kind of like listening to to kind of like the the cries of fans. Um, <laughs> You know, like we were talking at the very, very beginning of this podcast, Overwatch. Um, I kind of feel like part of the reason that they their post-release heroes and maps and stuff are going to be free. I think part of that reason is because they heard a lot of people complaining mm-hmm. um, about the prospect of having to pay for that. Um, yeah, they must have heard uh, episode 27, 26? <laughs> 26, I think. It's 27. I don't know. Um, but... Yeah, there's just all of this stuff. You've got like Final Fantasy VII being remade now. Oh, um, it's, they've people have been asking for it for forever, um, and then you've got like Ryu being released on Smash. Uh, <laughs> uh, just all of these things that that like people have been kind of wanting. They're they're getting lately. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I just think that that's really cool. Uh, like coming off of the comment about um, Ocarina of Time being on the 3DS. Yeah, yeah, and it and Ocarina of Time, Ocarina of Time on the 3DS is like 
I think the graphics are like way better. Like they they smoothened it out. Yeah, they really it's... really did. It's and they didn't um they didn't hurt the game at all, um which is kind of surprising. Like you have the gyro aiming. To me, that that was actually better than just like a joystick. Mm. Um, I felt I had more precision moving my 3ds in aiming and stuff like during the um, target um, shooting gallery stuff. Mm, interesting. Um, and uh, the fact that they I, what uh, they like color coded the water temple, something like that. Um, uh, not that far yet. Oh, okay. Well, they because they've acknowledged that the water temple has been so hard, um, <laughs> and so they didn't. I heard that they were gonna like change it to make it super easy or something or like easier, but all that they did was really like color code it so that it's more easy to understand like which switch is gonna put the water in what position mm. um so it just like helps you um when you're trying to figure out the dungeon nice, nice. Um, which by the way i do believe i've got the water temple down now um i don't have to look anything up because there's like this you're always missing one or two keys uh no matter what it is mm. um and i believe i've found out which key that is that that everybody always misses but okay i you know oddly enough i never had a problem with the water temple oh really yeah but uh that was a long time ago yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah it was just one of those things where like i remember it being difficult and then eventually you hear like people online like i didn't like the water temple and then you're like oh me too and yeah yeah, yeah. it just kind of comes to that consensus i guess but yeah so all that being said um, them putting the Ocarina of Time on the 3DS was good, and then they didn't ruin it. Yeah, just improved the graphics, <laughs> um, improved the gameplay, and in, in a little bit of ways. Um, I guess it's weird that they like created this hint system, like you can go back to your, oh, yeah, 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 your like home room or whatever, uh, in like the forest, and uh, it'll tell you what to do next. I guess that's nice, but it's almost like, eh. Yeah, kids these days, they don't need more help. Kids these days. <laughs> but then, like, I mean, when we were kids, we just looked it up on, like, online or whatever, or bought game guides. Yeah, I had uh, I had Nintendo Power. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, But, yeah, that is Tim's top three. We mm. have Half-Life 2, The Witcher 3, and Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time. All completely solid choices. Um, my wallet is going to get a little hurt because <laughs> of this episode, but and it's going to be totally worth it. I managed to not really spoil anything on The Witcher 3. I mean, one side quest maybe, but you won't even know it when you come up to it. Um, yeah. You won't even realize, like, oh, this is the side quest he was talking about. Um, but yeah. Yeah, when I play through the witcher 3 or i don't know most of it parts of it um we'll we will talk good i hope we uh have a podcast about it for sure um but for tonight guys this is episode 31 of npc talk my name is inkernaut here with tim and for tonight guys we are out have a good night good night